persuasive beverage, Cassie. You're being sarcastic? No, it's fairly quiet. I like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was like two times, and you just made it <laughs> way worse than it needed to be. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, how's everybody doing? Everybody feeling good? Been a minute since we did a full episode. I'm tired. Yeah, dude. I took a two-hour nap today at 2 p.m. And I was like, oh, I might just... Raining. Yeah, I was like, I might just cancel this shit because I could sleep for seven more hours right now. But here we are, recording anyways. I took some of my energy jelly beans. They have B12. Oh. I was like, are they injecting <laughs> energy into jelly beans now? They should be. Uh, Jake, what's up? Uh, I don't know. Okay, well, that's great to hear from you. Today we are talking about the Ramones. Long awaited. We are. We are getting through season five. <laughs> and it's going to happen, you know? <laughs> this one's going to definitely be at least two parts. It's so fucking long. There's so much, especially when you're dealing with five guys. And like when you really think about it, this isn't just one episode. Maybe we should make it five episodes because they all are dead. Oh. Yeah. Did you know that? Uh, no, I was going to say, aren't they all still alive too? Cause, so they're like still going. No, no, they're no, dead. no. They're all dead. Wow. So this is a lot of information because we're trying to do full biographies on like fucking all of them. I mean, that is the theme of the podcast. Yes, but you know how when we did the Beach Boys <laughs> and we went over some Beach Boys history, but not all of the Beach Boys are dead. Like two of right. them Right. It was only alive. like two of them that had died. Yeah. So we talked about them a little bit more. Yeah. No, all of them are dead. I didn't know this either going into it. Yeah. Um, but holy shit. Yeah. So it's, it is a very interesting story. I've learned so much about punk music. So I hope that my friends and coworkers who listen to this, who are punk people feel like we've done them justice Mm -hmm. coming in and knowing jack shit about the genre. Yeah. I'm, I'm a noob at this one. Marky's still alive. Yeah, but he was an original. No. Yeah. The, all the originals are, all the originals are are dead. I think Mickey's still alive, but he technically wasn't. A Ramon. He was, but he was there. He was like the roadie type, I do believe. The roadie. <laughs> it's a tenacious T song. Don't worry about it, Cassie. Anyways, um, Cassie has been like super, super busy. Me and Jake pretty much uh, took the lead on the research for this one. And right. so Cassie's going to be reacting. Yes. <laughs> in guess. real time. In real time. This is all new to me. It's like you're telling me like a story. Yeah. So like a bedtime story. I like this because normally we're speaking to an invisible character that's supposed to be the audience. But today we get to tell the story to Cassie. Yeah. Our collective podcast baby. You're <laughs> our baby. And this is your bedtime story. So I Aww. hope it rocks you Wee. to sleep. It rocks you to sleep. Brother. Please don't cry at any part during this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Okay. I don't think any of us have cried before. I think we came close. Very close. Ross Kilda was a tough one for me. And Chester Bennington was hard for Jake. But Cassie has no feelings. Um, just kidding. She's <laughs> <laughs> just like, bitch. <laughs> I don't know. I have I lots of feelings. I cry quite often. I cry every day, so I don't have to do it on the podcast. <laughs> 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 well, yeah. So today it's part one of the Ramones. We're basically doing a... Uh, it's going to lead up to the point... Where the band forms, because there's that much fucking information before they even got together. Wow. And that's where we're going to, part two is going to be basically the history of the band, whereas part one is like the biographies of the people in the band. Well, mostly the three main ones. Uh, Tommy had nothing on him. And so he has like two paragraphs, but the rest of them, uh, Johnny, Joey, and uh, Dee Dee. Dee Dee. I'm going to have to make a map. I know, like dude, a family it was tree. so confusing. Except they're not related. Now I know exactly who the fuck they are. Mm, yeah, but me too. But at the beginning, I was <laughs> like, what in, what, what? Because they were going by their fake names for the band, their real first names, and by their last names in different articles. Was, and I'm like, I don't fucking know what you're talking about. I was going to say, can I use a piece of paper? Don't read my notes. I'm not. I'm flipping it over. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Sorry. There's a pen in there. Don't sneeze. I'm don't, not going to sneeze. Don't, I just... don't touch that either. No, just kidding. You just said I could use a pen. All right. Who do we have? Who are, who are the Ramones? What are their names? Johnny. Oh, God. <laughs> is it already too much for you? No. If it's like <laughs> Jeffrey, James, Well, well one Jackson. of them is named Jeffrey. Oh, my God. Well, his on, his band name is Joey. Okay. Joey. Oh, Joey. D.D. Oh, my God. Like D-E-E. Mm-hmm. D-E-E. Like D.D. and Dexter. Oh, I was going to say D.D. Pickles from Rugrats. Okay. Yep. Just like that. Uh, and then Tommy. Tommy and Johnny. 
that it? And then and then add on Marky. Mark and the Funky Bunch? Yeah, Marky was one of the drummers. Okay. Uh, Mickey is the brother of Joey, and they kind of come as a package deal. Sure. Same. And there were more drummers, but they're not going to come until the second part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So don't fucking worry about that yet. Just. But keep that list handy. Just the six. Huh. Yeah. Six people total. Well, uh, for it's fine. this episode. We'll tell yeah. you that. We'll tell you. In All right. <laughs> okay. So our sources for today. Wait, hold on. Jake. Sorry. Yes. Fuck well, you, Jake. well, what you guys should care about is the name of the show, which is Death by Music Podcast. I am Jake. And I'm here with Cassie and Alex. Cassie is back for a limited time. Buy one, <laughs> get one. Free. I'm like the return sense at Bath and Body Works that you always want to come back. Ah, uh, they always Cucumber discontinue melon. my favorite ones. Which one? I like the the shit Endless Summer or something. I think is one of them. Mm. The beach ones. They beach. smell great. They're sunblock seasonal. and coconuts. That's what I want to oh, smell yeah. like. But I, but beach. I don't want to actually put sunblock on. So I just want to spray the scent on. You know what that means for your skin? What cancer? What? Skin cancer. <laughs> yeah, but I have psoriasis, so a lot of sunblock I can't use. Oh, so it's well. like either become one giant scab or get cancer, which is worse. Probably the cancer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your opinion. <laughs> okay, I'm not a doctor, but that one sounds like it lasts longer and could kill you. Okay, well, then does it last shorter? No. Because psoriasis, you live a long time. With it, and you cancer. Know, okay. Anyways, uh, this d- is okay. A philosophical. We're question. gonna do the sources. Far Out Mag had a handful of articles. Of course, we use Wikipedia. Sure. There was a San Diego Tribune article by George Varga. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, mm-hmm. I discovered these things called biographies Jake and autobiographies. Books. He purchased. You books. bought I a book. Purchased two actually. Whoa. And I, I Are kind, you proud? I kind of uh, one of them. Skimmed them. <laughs> I they had just enough information available on the free version of it, so yeah. I didn't have to buy that one. Hell yeah. But yes, I did buy two uh, biographies and and no two autobiographies and one one biography. So we got Commando, the autobiography of Johnny Ramone by Johnny Ramone. I mean, it's an autobiography. That's redundant. Uh, well, that's part of the title. What the fuck? Uh, Lobotomy: Surviving the Ramones by Dee Dee Ramone, <laughs> Veronica Kaufman, Legs McNeil, and Joan Jett. Call me legs. It's interesting. You can just tell from the title how he fucking felt about it. <laughs> Surviving the Ramones. Yeah. And I believe Lobotomy is one of the, the name of one of their Teenage songs, Lobotomy, too. Teenage Lobotomy, yeah. And uh, I slept with Joey Ramone. Uh, hold on. I slept with Joey Ramone, a punk rock family memoir by Mickey Lee, his yeah, brother, and Legs McNeil. Yeah, on the tour bus. Gross. Oh. In uh, hotels when they were touring. Go on, Jake. That's accurate enough, yes. Uh, uh, apparently, I also use CPI inflation calculator. So anytime we give you like uh, updated money numbers, that's what I use. So. Okay. Um, I also had a Billboard article by Melinda Newman on the band's breakup album. I mean, all the, these sources are going to be for the second part, but whatever. Fuck it. Hey, ho, let's go. The story of the Ramones by Everett True. Rockcelebrities.net. Article by Melissa Iscan. A Far Out Magazine. Article by Joe Taysom. And the true story of the Ram- the Ramones by Chris Needs on Loudersound.com. All right. We ready? Everybody buckled in? I was going to say buckle up, folks, because you're going to be listening to me a whole lot. Oh, yeah. Jake wrote pages. And well, pages. he <laughs> bought two whole books. Yeah, yeah. When I looked back at this, I was like trying to see where he was at. And That's he had written two full pages straight. And it was like on one of the members, and I was like, "What?" That's the what fuck? that exasperated text was about. <laughs> yeah, because well, I put I wrote like two or three paragraphs on the early life of each one, and then like now they're all together. So mm-hmm. it was like maybe one page max. And then Jake went and was like, "Oh, we're talking about Joey," and wrote like two full pages about Joey alone. I was Joey. like, "Bitch, what the fuck?" I'm like, "We well, need he to have the sources." Holy shit! Yeah, it was a lot. So yeah, Jake, proud of you, Jake. Don't fuck up. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. All right, the Ramones, the first true punk rock group and as American as Apple Pie, formed in the New York City neighborhood of Forest Hills, Queens in 1974. While they weren't very commercially successful in the United States while they were together, and that wasn't really their goal, they would go on to inspire at least 50 full-length tribute records and become one of the most influential and greatest bands of all time. They encountered much turmoil in their 22 active years, 
including differing political ideologies between band members. They were stealing girlfriends. They were varying mental disorders, addictions, and a revolving door of percussionists. But the Ramones also had a broad, lasting influence on popular music. And as historian John Savage said, their debut album changed pop forever. They also set the stage quite literally for punk, hardcore, new wave, and even heavy metal. And as with all of our stories, it ends in tragedy. All of the original members passed away for varying reasons in the 2000s. We'll get to all the juicy stories and more in this very long fucking episode on the legendary Joey, Dee Dee, Johnny, and Tommy the Ramones. So we're going to start with Johnny Ramone, the first guy on your list. Mm -hmm. Write this down. John William Cummings. An unfortunate name. Two M's or two U's. <laughs> uh, he was born in Queens, New York City. Are you writing this? All of it. No. Okay. I, is there going to be a quiz later? Damn. <laughs> uh, his dad, Frank, was Irish and his mom, Estelle, was Polish Ukrainian. Apparently, his uh, parents owned a bar in his early life, so Hell he yeah. spent a lot of time there listening to the jukebox. And watching baseball. And drinking beer. Yeah, the guy that changed out the records in the jukebox would give him the old 45, so he had to quit. He had quite the collection of early rock and roll, citing Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis, and Fats Domino as some of his favorites. His father was a very strict Irish construction worker. Think the, I walk to school 10 miles a day in the snow uphill both ways, pull yourself up by the bootstraps type. Like, that oh. was that was his dad. Okay. So his dad sucked, is what I'm trying to say. Sure. Uh, in On the Road with the Ramones by Monty Melnick and Frank Meyer, Johnny said, My father would get on these tangents about how he never missed a day's work. I broke my big toe the day that I had to go pitch a Little League game, and he's going, What are you? A baby? What did I do? Raise a baby? Go play. And even though my toe was broken, <laughs> I had to pitch the game anyways. It was terrible. I mean, you can't do much for a broken toe anyway, so I get it. You but might also as well. They're not going to put you in a boot for a broken toe. Worst case scenario, they remove the bone. Yeah, but it's a game. Like, who cares? <laughs> and he's a child. You're right. Yeah. It's, that's technically a form of abuse. All right. Well, it sounded at first like you were on the side of the dad. Being no. Like, yeah, but you play, bitch. In all honesty, you can't do much. <laughs> but yes, that's child abuse. <laughs> all right. Well, Would you do it to Steve? <laughs> no. Okay. There no. we go. Before you all get the assumption that his dad was a giant ass bag, uh, Johnny actually speaks quite fondly of him in his autobiography. That's what trauma does to you. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, Sympathizing. Uh, well, they Stockholm had... Syndrome. <laughs> uh, they always ate dinner as a family. He remembers occasions where his dad would pull him out of bed after a late shift at work and walk around the neighborhood with him on his shoulders late at night. I mean, that also seems like abuse. <laughs> Could be. You got school the next day, Bitch, right? I'm sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Johnny was a baseball fan and hoped to make it in the big leagues. Uh, he says his dad would stand in the outfield to watch instead of the bleachers with everyone else just so he didn't pre put pressure on Johnny. Wow. Quote. But he pressured him to play with a broken toe. He was right. like, big no, difference there. I'm behind in center field <laughs> watching. But it's probably so that he wouldn't get thrown out of games for his mouth. Yeah, I could see that. Possibly. Me I don't know if they did that back then. Talk shit? I'm sure they did. <laughs> no, kick, kick parents out. Oh. Uh, yeah, anyways, quote, I remember pitching one game and looking out beyond the fence in the left field. It, it seemed way out there, and I could see my dad standing there. I never knew if he was aware that I saw him. Secretly, I was glad he was there. Hmm. It's like a looming dad. <clears throat> Creepy. You can't see him, but just know I'm there. <laughs> yeah. So the family was Catholic, and Johnny had his first communion when he was six, but didn't continue with church too much after that. Nice. I'd ask, how come Pop doesn't go to church on Sunday? And he'd say, well, I don't have to go. So I said, well, I'm not going anymore unless you're going. Spoken like a true Catholic. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it turns out the nuns were, unsurprisingly, very abusive and would hit him with a stick. Uh, he finally stopped going after showing his mom the mark since she didn't believe Jeez. him. I'm still Catholic. I just don't go to church, he says. Spoken Again, like a true a Catholic. True Catholic, yes. <laughs> So Johnny was a baseball nerd, and he kept a mint collection of various Topps cards uh, and was also into horror movies. In ninth and 10th grade, he ended up attending military school at Staunton Military Academy in Virginia and then Peekskill oh. in New York. He briefly considered a military career, but that fizzled out, so he ended up back in public school for the rest of uh, high school. Whatever I did back then, I always gravitated towards doing as little as possible. Hmm. I was very difficult. Same. 
Uh, I refused to answer the teacher's questions and would purpose, purposely say I don't know to everything, even if I did know the answer. I would just sit in the back corner being disagreeable. I would not cooperate. Honestly, super relatable. Just being a little shit. Yes. I, I No wonder the nuns beat him. I totally understand him. <laughs> <laughs> Around 1964, he met Tommy Erdelli, a.k.a. Tommy Ramone, at school, and they started hanging out, sharing a love of music, and just being kind of the outcasts at school. Tommy got Johnny to play bass in a short-lived band, Tangerine Puppets, but he wasn't good at it, so he gave up. Dang, how does it feel to not be good at bass? The easiest instrument. <laughs> Just kidding, I don't play I'm any I'm not good at something, I quit too. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> uh, Johnny pretty much slacked off the rest of high school, graduating in 1966. He went to Florida to attend college, but returned after two days and did a term at Manhattan Community College, but didn't like that either. Already on a rebellious streak since high school, growing out his hair and listening to loud rock and roll, which he knew pissed off his parents, yeah. Johnny found himself without any direction or work and started getting into trouble. He got into fights, started doing drugs and stealing stuff. One instance in particular, he describes fighting another kid and the dad, the kid's dad comes out and Johnny punched him too. What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, the, you know what? Actually... I read about that uh, that fight. Mickey describes that fight in his biography thing. That, uh, I just recalled that. That was pretty funny. That's ballsier than Victoria beating a random German <laughs> kid with a purse full of rocks. Uh, on multiple occasions, he'd toss old TVs he'd found uh, on the curb off of apartment buildings to scare pedestrians. Yeah, or kill them. What the fuck? Well, nobody died, so uh, he ended up in jail a couple times, which was the only time his dad ever missed work to come bail him out. He was wow. just trying to break that streak, and he was like, I told yeah. you, Dad, fuck you. <laughs> yep. Uh, quote, I was the terror of the neighborhood like a really bad Fonzie. I threw uh, bricks through windows. I beat people up. Well. And he did. Like, he would, he, he got into fights with the other band members on stage. Like, he just put his bass down, like, yeah. kicked the dude in the nuts and all oh, that we'll, stuff. Oh, we'll get into it. <laughs> That's coming up. Yeah. He was mean. So Johnny is 20 years old at this point. Things aren't going great when he has an epiphany. I heard a voice. I don't know what it was. God, maybe. Probably but it not. wasn't something I had heard before. It asked, what are you doing with your life? Is that what you are here for? It was a spiritual awakening, and I just immediately stopped everything. It was all clear cut right then. I went home and stopped doing drugs, stopped doing everything bad, and I stopped drinking. This just reminds me of the Twisted Sister music videos. Where he's like, what are you going to do with your life? And he's like, I want to rock. <laughs> This whole thing. His dad is like the dad in those music videos. This is like spot on. I think it, they were based on him. Good job, D. Snyder. <laughs> uh, Johnny got a part-time job delivering dry cleaning, eventually ending up with a full-time union job in construction that his dad had helped him get. Up until that point, they had been estranged for a bit when Johnny was getting into trouble, and he says this job helped repair their relationship. Also, he met a girl named Rosanna, who he married in 1972. So Johnny was interested in rock music. Uh, Jake mentioned he was playing a group called the Tangerine Puppets with Tommy. On one of his dry cleaning runs while he was working there, he ran into Douglas Colvin, who would later become Dee Dee Ramone. The two had similar tastes in music. They liked the Stooges and MC5. Uh, Johnny would go on to be looked at as the taskmaster in the band. He was like the heartless sergeant and kept pushing everybody to keep working and keep making money. So now... We are on to Dee Dee, who we just introduced. Douglas Glenn Colvin was born in our neck of the woods, Fort Lee, Virginia, on September 18th, 1951. His dad was a U.S. soldier. His mother was a German lady. He lived in West Germany as an infant, but moved around a lot because of the military, resulting in a pretty lonely childhood with few real and lasting friendships. His father was an alcoholic, and as a result, his parents split up when Dee Dee was 15, he relocated with his mom and sister to New York to escape from his dad. And that's where he would go on to meet John Cummings, a.k.a. Johnny, and Thomas Erdilly, a.k.a. Tommy, and join the Tangerine Puppets. His mother, Tony, was born in Berlin in 1931, just two years before Hitler was appointed Chancellor of Germany. Hmm. She grew up in the thick of it, having to do the Nazi salute and pledges in school and uh, mm -hmm. experiencing the Kristallnacht an all-out attack against Jewish people across Germany in November 1938. Dee Dee says, My mother remembers the screaming. She was a little girl and not against anyone. She was scared. 
After that came three years of bombing raids where, as a teenager, she was ordered to defend Berlin. What? She was 14 when the war ended and had to bury, bury many of the bodies. Uh, one instance, Didi recalls uh, at some point he had found a pool on base in Berlin and wanted his mother to go swimming with him, but she refused to because she remembered that it had been filled with the blood of dead bodies of, like, horses and people after the war. Holy shit. I don't know if there is a... I guess they have to, like, drain the bodies or something before they bury them. I don't know what the purpose of just be a pool full they of blood was. They probably just put them there until they had a spot. Could have been that, too, yeah. He wasn't Fuck. super clear on that. Yeah, pretty fucked up. His father, Glenn Coven, was stationed in Berlin where he met Tony after the war, and he was 38 and she was 17. Uh, they came what? To... Hold, what? Yep, you heard that correctly. Yeah. Gross. Oh, Ew. Gross. Bad start. Bad yeah. start. Yep. They came to the U.S. and... Uh, 1951 and had Douglas, a.k.a. Didi. Glenn got stationed in Korea with Didi and his mother staying in Tokyo. What? So, soon after, I guess that's uh, as close as they wanted to get. That's so weird. My dad went to Korea. He was stationed over there, too. Obviously, it wasn't in 1951. But, um, yeah, we just stayed here. We did not go to Korea because fuck that. Or, like, even the other side. No, just let him go. You know? We'll see him eventually. Hey, yeah. That's um, nuts. Soon after, they ended up in Massachusetts, where his sister, Beverly, was born. Uh, according to Didi, this is when things started going south for him. Yeah. Back in Berlin again, he recalls many drunken fights between his parents, seeing his dad pinning his mother down and hitting her, mm. his mother throwing dishes out the window of their fourth-floor apartment, waking up the whole building all hours of the night, and everyone basically acting like everybody in the building would just act like everything was normal. I mean, that was normal back then. It was. To beat your wife. Yeah. yeah and no one bat an eye. And, yeah. yeah. Fucked up. Your underage wife, by the way. Mm. That yeah, too. Yeah. Everybody, like, there's a point where it, yes, mind your own business, but. It's the the bystander not, not, effect. Not, not, yeah. Not the, you know, when somebody's being when somebody's abused. When somebody's being abused, yeah. That, that's not a point where you need to mind your own business. You don't need to know why. You just, that's a point mm -hmm. where you can step in, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, well, call the police or something. Uh, if she hadn't gotten away from him eventually, I would just play the long game and wait until he's fucking old and stop changing his diaper and stop feeding him. You know, <laughs> so I'm I don't think shit. that you would put up with that shit long enough. No, yeah, offense. I don't think so. No, knowing no, you, you're, no you... offense. You don't think I would take abuse for years? No, you don't think I, I let somebody I don't beat the, the I don't shit want you out to take of me it poorly, but like. <laughs> You would never. <laughs> so, how dare you say that about me? I love being abused. Just kidding. I didn't want Whoa. you to think I was saying it in a way that's because you're. I mean, you're very like strong-headed and know I what you want. I would fuck a motherfucker up. Sure. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. They better be worried about me beating mm -hmm. the shit out of them. Honestly. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Recently, we have um, with the new store being open, we've had to have like, like the door open so that people know a that we're there, but um, just so it. If you leave the door open, more people walk into a store with the door open. Anyway, yeah. besides the point, I was there one day between like 9 and 12 by myself, and there was this man who was walking up and down the shopping center. They were going into various stores with his significant other, and he was screaming at her about every little thing she did, nitpicking all what of it. What the fuck? And just like things like, go get in the car. I can't believe you would do something like that. And just like, it was too much. It was also... 10 30 in the morning he was just berating her for like 20 minutes and i finally like stuck my hat at the door but there were already two other ladies that were like calling the cops like uh, they were like i don't want her to get in the car with that guy like you just need to come here now <laughs> so i was like i'm glad you said something because if you didn't call i was about to because there's no reason you should like inhumanely yell at somebody for a better part of half an hour about how shitty they are yeah when no, they're not doing anything people like that are mentally ill oh yeah and they want everybody to think that the victim is the is like asking for it or whatever. And it's like, no, nobody's on your side. No. They all think you're a dick. Yeah. Because now you're ruining everybody else's time, too. So <laughs> fucking knock it off. Uh, yeah. So when they weren't fighting each other, they'd take things out on Didi. I was their punching bag, he says. He ended up failing the first grade and was too embarrassed to go back. He that was, was pretty embarrassing. Well... <laughs> He was struck with anxiety and unable to concentrate at school. Poor kid. I had no ability to study and learn and concentrate, to take my work home and have some peace and quiet, to feel dignified enough or be able to ask someone a question, yeah. he says. I mean, 
I feel like in those early years of kids being in school, you can really tell like what kind of home they're coming from. Because if you if you can't focus and cope at school, like there's got to be something going on behind closed doors. If yeah. You can't do your fucking homework and then mm-hmm. you're getting marked down for that. And it you come to find out it's because your parents are screaming and having mm-hmm. fist fights every day at home. Then it's like, yeah, it was it was someone's got to step it in. It was bad for him growing up. Yeah. Poor kid. Uh, and it never really got better. I mean, maybe as an adult a little bit, but not really. Uh, his parents didn't teach him anything, and uh, so he was falling behind uh, everyone in his age group. I wasn't even as grown up as the other kids my age. I would try to make up for my own ignorance with physical enthusiasm, acting out, making funny noises. Class clown. Mm-hmm. Kind of, yeah. Things had got so bad for Dee Dee that he was scared to be home. His mother would tell him to go hide uh, when his dad was around. After a while, he just avoided going home and would wander the base by himself because home was too scary. Meanwhile, his mother didn't, had introduced him to rock and roll. He says she was a troublemaker and dressed cool, <laughs> had a Bill Haley in his Comets uh, EP. First uh, rock and roll record, yeah. allegedly. Uh, too embarrassed to go to school, he would just go hide in the bushes during lunchtime and kind of spy on the teenagers hanging out with their transistor radios. Uh, he says, this is how I could hear the music. I fell in love with rock and roll. It was exciting to me and seemed defiant, he says. Uh, I liked everything that seemed edgy. He recalls going to see The Mummy in 1959 with, well, I don't know if it, he saw it in 1959, but he went to see <laughs> The Mummy with his mummy. And then <laughs> The Ten Commandments, which was somehow, which he somehow saw on his own. Now, that movie came out in 1956, which is wild because he would have only been five years old. I feel like maybe the movie had been out for a while and they just happened to be playing it years later after its initial release because he's still in Germany. You got to remember how long it takes stuff to get across the water. Oh, yeah, it takes forever. But also, on a military base, too, usually yeah. they would get the like free movies. Yeah. I forgot about I remember, that. Yeah. yeah, I've done that before, and they're like always super old. So, yeah, who knows? We, they, when, they just got it a few years later. Well, yeah, when we lived in Germany, I'm pretty sure they would just play random movies mm-hmm. at any time at the movie theater. So, yeah. And that, now that like places here do it for just nostalgic purposes, put like yeah, Shrek dude, back in theaters. On my way. Oh, yeah, I've seen. I went to the 50th anniversary of uh, Bullet with Steve McQueen a couple years ago. I got to see the 30th anniversary of Ninja Turtles, the first one from 1990. I saw uh, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas in theaters again. Mm. It was awesome. I went to the 10th and was it the 10th and the 15th or the 10th and the 20th re-showing of uh, Titanic in theaters? Fucking great. Oh, wow. So good. So much better to see it on a TV, on a TV screen, on a theater like (laughs) screen. It was cool. Yeah. Uh, his dad was briefly stationed in Atlanta during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Didi recalls hearing rock and roll at the PX snack bar in the pool. And the PX, for those of you not military savvy, is post-exchange. That's basically like an on-base Walmart, a very small one. Yeah. And they, they have like a small shops to eat at and stuff out front. And then you go into the main shopping area. Kind of like the NEX for you Navy folks around here. Same thing, but they know it. I'm sure they, they know, know what the it PX is. is. You don't yeah. have to explain it to them. Explain <laughs> it to the fucking normies, yeah. the civilians. Uh, he even made a friend finally. She, oh, wow. She, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. She liked the song Last Kiss by the Cavaliers, and he finally had somebody he could talk to about music. Uh, the drinking and fighting between his parents continued to escalate. It was here that he discovered Sniffing Glue and watching, uh, after watching a documentary on TV. Hmm. Was the documentary about sniffing glue? Well, the Ramones have a song. They do about their first album. Glue. <laughs> so Interesting. this is this is. Relevant. I'm wondering if the documentary was like saying what not to do, and he's like, "Wait, I can do that." <laughs> yeah, you learn all kinds of shit yeah, from the entire Dare program. Yeah, I didn't know about I didn't drugs. dot any drugs. Yeah, Still. before I took Dare like three different times because yeah. we took it when I lived here in fourth grade, and then fifth grade I moved somewhere else and we took it again, and I'm pretty sure we took it again in like. Well, they grade. also had those like indoctrinating early two thousands. Um, like don't do weed commercials that made you basically look like, like you were melting. Weed? I didn't even know there was weed. <laughs> Where? <laughs> it sounds cool. <laughs> Why is she something. melting into the couch? I mean, that's that's like a cool feeling. Not if you, me, I would have associated it with like burning. Ketamine? Oh. No, like she's melting. She must be so hot. She's going to die. Oh. I'll die. Ah, <laughs> anxiety. <laughs> Hurricanes. Dave Parker. <laughs> Go ahead, Jake. <laughs> Soon they were stationed back in Germany in Permasens. Hmm. 
I think. I've never heard of that city before. Me neither. Uh, which he describes as a violent, rough, and tumble factory town that stunk like a sewer. Okay. Hmm. He made another friend named Crud. Like that. <laughs> I love that. K R U D D. Got to make it German. Yeah. So he Crud was kind of the same situation. I, I believe his dad was American. <laughs> his was mom was German or something name. like Petition that. Petition to rename Steve to Crud. <laughs> Surely his name was not like All that was in a favor, nickname, say right? I. No, it was Crud. K R U D D. It might have been short for something, but it was something. It could it be was short German. for something German. Uh, both were the lowest in the pecking order, so they had something in common. Unfortunately, that friendship ended when Dee Dee was roughhousing with Crud, who punched him in the face after mm. school. So this turns into like a like the typical, like they just had a fight, so now you have to have a rematch type of deal. After school, Dee Dee was expected to fight him in a rematch. Dee Dee pulled out a switchblade, causing Crud to back down, preventing him from kicking Dee Dee's ass since he was a much bigger kid. Wow. And then they weren't friends anymore? No, nope, that was the end of that one. Well, <laughs> would you be friends with me if... I punched you in the face. I would be mad and be like, why did you do that? Really? But I wouldn't pull a knife on you in a rematch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good to know. Our friendship would prevail. (laughs) Don't punch me in the face. (laughs) I won't. I I don't want to hurt myself. (laughs) Like, no. Do you want to break your knuckles? No. Uh, Dee Dee first heard the Beatles around age 12 and went full Beatles mode, uh, getting a Beatles haircut and suit. Ooh. At some point, he found some old Playboy magazines and happened upon an article about a wrestler, Gorgeous George. Uh, this inspired him to come up with the name Dee Dee for some reason. He never really elaborated. Uh, he then pulled the name Ramon from Paul McCartney when he used the name Paul Ramon in the Silver Beats before the Beatles made it big. Okay, so this all comes back to him. Yeah. There are real articles in Playboy, Cassie. I've no, read them I before. Just, <laughs> well, it was like waiting for you to be like, I don't know. Is it Gor- Gorgeous, Gorgeous George? Gorgeous George, yes. Did he go by Gigi and then he thought Dee Dee was cool? Like, Oh, maybe. Okay. I see possibly. your train of thought. I was like trying to make the but also there. why is, is it did the playboy wrestler do a spread like what's no, up he was probably just writing about the wrestler wasn't writing but he was reading an article on about? the wrestler oh okay yeah but they, was, they probably interviewed him or something i haven't read the playboy <laughs> articles sorry I've only looked at the pictures. Oh, well, you're missing she a lot. can't read, All Jake. the pictures for Stop me. Stop telling everybody. <laughs> Another move back to Berlin, and Dee Dee was pretty much alone most of the time. His mom was living vicariously through his sister, Beverly, who was taking ballet classes, and his dad wasn't around much. He started taking dope, which he got from dealers who'd fill needles from big plastic bottles of morphine. How old is he at this point? Like, 12? Uh, yeah. He's not wow. that old. So, he, and by dope... Let's just clarify. You mean like heroin? It was or a morphine? form of hair. Yeah, because it was morphine. So it was some type of. I always feel so stupid when we talk about <laughs> drugs. Drugs.com. <laughs> morphine is like the. Uh, it, it's a painkiller. It's a painkiller. And it also makes you like euphoric, I do believe. that's It's like a huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. He says the German dope was strange, but it was fun. It felt like you were getting an electric shock when you shot it up. Then you went completely numb. Beverly had made it into Juilliard, which his mother used as an escape. His parents had gotten a divorce, and Tony took Beverly and Dee Dee and moved to Forest Hills in Queens. Two days before leaving, his dad was being a dick again, and Dee Dee had had it. He was about to stab him, but mm. talked himself out of it, knowing his dad would just put him in the dirt. I mean, the guy's military. Big man. He fought in World War II. Yeah. He, there was no way Dee Dee was going to touch him. Uh, they made it to New York, and soon after, Dee Dee was making his way into the city. About a month after moving there, he took his first hit of acid. He came home the next morning still tripping, and his mother asked him why he was in such a good mood, and he said he had done LSD. And she was basically like, cool. Uh, Want to listen to the new Jimi Hendrix? She's a cool mom. Yeah. Uh, anyways, he started getting into drugs like heroin and dealing more. At age 16, he pretty much just stopped going home, and uh, he wrote his mom a note saying he was going to California, and he sold his base that he had uh, bought and started hitchhiking across the U.S. Bro. Yeah. What the fuck? I would never, but he's also a white male, so. Yeah. And it's also the mid-60s. Yeah, that was before different time, um, and he also like Manson family doesn't necessarily have a lot to lose. No, so well, fuck it. Yeah, he did run into some trouble during his hitchhiking. He he got picked up by a group of guys who were actually just 
traveling up and down the highway looking for people to rob and like stab them and shit. Sure. And the, and the police arrested everybody and, and they kind of realized that he wasn't with them and it's like, all right, you get out of here kind of a deal. So yeah, he did have some run-ins there. Uh, he did make it to LA and found out that he didn't like it at all. Yeah. He sucks. basically lived in the woods with the other freaks doing and dealing drugs and uh, being a low-level criminal. So he does mention several times in his bio- biography. Biography. In his biography. <laughs> it's the German one. Um, yeah. He, uh, you know, he, he was into drugs, but he just didn't have like a criminal mentality. He wasn't a violent person. He wasn't mm. like into that. He, like he's a junkie, but not that type of junkie type yeah. of deal. Yeah. He did get into some robbery and stuff like that, but nothing like, like hardcore. Yeah. Like he didn't murder somebody. Uh, he had managed to get a nighttime maintenance job and lived in a hotel for a while, but ended up leaving and making his way to his grandma's house in Missouri. Uh, after that, it was back to Forest Hills, though things with his mother got real bad. And it was around this time that he started hanging out with Johnny, Tommy, and Joey. So if Johnny was the heartless one, I would say that Dee Dee was considered the opposite. He was very traumatized from his childhood and he learned to cope with drugs and alcohol. Uh, Quote, Dee Dee was damaged, said close friend Lemmy of Motorhead. There was always that baggage he carried around. I just never thought that he was happy. Well, you should do the acid again. Apparently his mom thought it helped. I mean, acid (laughs) and like mushrooms have been proven in the limited tests that they've had to to heal PTSD. yeah, Yeah, to counteract the effects of PTSD and rebuild like new neural pathways. Mm hmm. So that you aren't so triggered by things. Um, so, yeah, maybe he should have just done some acid. But I feel like, you know, you do too much of that, then you lose your mind, too. Like Jerry Garcia mm. and remember Roki Erickson. Roki. Yeah, they, oh. they were like acid heads and like mm. a certain. Well, Roki had schizophrenia, but yeah, you can do too much acid as well is what we've learned. So now we're <laughs> going to talk about Tommy Ramone. Are you guys ready? Because <laughs> this one's a fucking doozy. <laughs> All right. Tomas Erdeli was born to Jewish parents in Budapest, Hungary on January 29th, 1949. His parents were photographers. They were also Holocaust survivors. They hid with neighbors while most of their other relatives were killed by Nazis. His family left Hungary during the revolution of 1956, eventually emigrating to the Bronx and settling down in Forest Hills, Queens. He changed his name to a more Americanized Thomas instead of Tomas. In high school, he formed up a band called the Tangerine Puppets with his classmate, John. Uh, Tommy left school when he was 18, finding work in a production studio and assisting on Jimi Hendrix's 1970 album, Band of Gypsies. Tommy would be looked at as the most level-headed of the Ramones, despite his difficult childhood. Got it? Everybody good? Everybody good on Thomas? Yep. Tommy? That's all we got to right. say about that. That's a, that's it for him. Yeah. Now we're on to Joey. <laughs> I, I I looked and I could not find anything more that was in his Wikipedia page. So and he didn't have an autobiography or anything. So. How does he just go from, oh, one day he was a production assistant. Oh, but also he assisted Jimi Hendrix. Like <laughs> the step that man took I was gargantuous. Well, he was working. He was in New They're York. They're in New York. And oh, yeah. That's where right place, right, pl- yeah. right time. Yeah, Electric Lady Studios is right up there, too. So I think he was just maybe interning huh. and met the right people. And You're good at what you do. Yeah. And, you know, he was he was good at it because he ended up doing this for the band in the future after he left. So Joey Ramone, uh, Jeffrey Ross Hyman. Another unfortunate oh. name. <laughs> My we, high we, school oceanography teacher was named Mrs. Hyman, and everybody oh, made fun of her. I would change my name. Honestly, yeah. Or not be a teacher. Do something where there you're not, you have to call on the teacher and say Miss Hyman all the time. No. Mr. Cummings. Yeah, we got Hyman and Cummings. It's a good thing they changed their name to the Ramon. Anyways, uh, <laughs> okay, Joey Ramon is what we're going to call him. Uh, he was no. born in Queens to a Jewish family on May 19th, 1951. He was a twin! Uh, but his twin never got into music, though, because he was a parasitic and growing on Joey's back, <gasps> incompletely formed. So they surgically removed him, which was probably a good idea. <sighs> Joey grew up instead with his other brother, <laughs> <laughs> Mickey Lee, who also went on to play music. Did he have the surgery after he was born? Well, obviously, you yeah, can't no, they surgically did it remove inside. it in the womb. Yeah, no, he had to be born. And then they were like, oh, what the fuck? And oh, I mean, God. I'm assuming. I don't know. Jake uh, might get into I it. I doubt the bedside manner on that. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> so Mickey Lee was his other brother, and they he also went on to play music. Joey is described as a generally happy kid, but he was a bit awkward and an outcast. At age 18, he was diagnosed with both OCD and schizophrenia. So that growth wasn't like a full-on twin with face and arms and legs. Also, I thought you meant twin because he would be a Gemini. Oh, <laughs> and oh that's yeah, the he sign. would be. Yeah. Oh, so I, didn't I was think like, about that. <laughs> damn. Anyway, <laughs> but he had multiple personality disorder. You said no schizophrenia. Oh, yeah. So, so, how many ways is he a twin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his brother describes it. His uh, brother is the mass. What are you talking about? Yeah. No. His brother, brother describes the growth. Uh, the mass. Uh, it was about the size of a baseball, and uh, it could have been a fetus that just never developed and attached itself to his spine. Yeah. So he was just a few weeks old when he underwent surgery, and due to the location, some scarring of the spinal tissue was pretty, it was unavoidable. Uh, it's reasonable to assume some of Jeff's, or Joey, I mean, uh, later medical issues were probably related to the surgery. Anyways, about a year later, we'll say, 1952, uh, the family moved to Forest Hills in Queens. I have a great quote from his brother here. Then one night in October 1953, via dad's instinctive impulses, with mom's unyielding assistance, I began gathering myself together. Nine months later, I met up with them and Jeff for the first time. They named me Mitchell Lee Hyman. Hmm. I passed inspection with only a couple web toes noted on my permanent record. What the fuck? Yeah. Meaning he was conceived and then a baby. Yeah. Oh, I'm like, what are they talking about? <laughs> no, he's talking about how he met his family. <laughs> he's, he's, he's pretty funny. He the confused the shit out of me. I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. All right. Yeah, back to the story. Uh, according to Mickey, Joey, I know I keep saying Joey and Jeff. So Just say Joey. Yeah, I'll say Joey. When he was writing his book, he refers to his brother as Jeff the whole time. So Joey, according to Mickey, Joey, despite his surgery and potential... Uh, related health concerns says my big brother was outgoing and adventurous cheerful and talented and brave he wasn't weird he wasn't angry or removed or troubled or sickly or lonely or concerned jeff was the smiling happy kid with long legs running through the thick grass chasing butterflies calling to me the boys seemed to have a pretty normal life early on almost picturesque they always did things as a family and joey was always protective of of mickey letting him stay in his bed when he was afraid of something. And ah, I slept with Joey Ramon. Yeah. There's the title of the book. Yep. All right. Uh, where was I? Uh, one time, getting Mickey help after staying with him when he ran in, ran headfirst into a pipe after being spooked by another kid yelling, run, there's a ghost. What a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were, they were playing in a basement somewhere in one of the apartment buildings, and one of the kids was like, look, a ghost, and he just like bolted and didn't look Boom. up. Bam. Yeah. <laughs> Knocked him out, got stitches, everything. But, but Joey went and took care of him. He's doing the big brother thing. The boys were into singing and often often provided the entertainment for guests. Joey got an accordion one year and picked up on it uh, quite quickly and played a lot of Oompa-style music with it. Either of you know a famous person that played accordion? I'm waiting um, for I'm Did you know someone? Did you have someone in I mind? I have someone in mind, yes. I was going to say Lawrence Welk. Ah, yeah, that's who I was thinking of. Yes, uh, he, when he decided on a career in music, uh, he persuaded his dad to buy him a mail-order accordion for $400, which is just shy of 6000 today. Wow. That's an expensive accordion. Uh, anyways, Mickey recalls hearing rock and roll for the first time on the radio. He wanted Joey to hear the Ayababa song. What? Any guesses as to what song that might be? Ayababa. What um, year is this? Early sixties, late fifties, probably late fifties. I don't know. I've mid late fifties. I don't. I still don't know. I don't no, speak nothing. fucking baby. La Bamba. Oh, uh, yeah, Baba. Okay, yeah, that's so like that little girl that sings <laughs> Selena, like, and she's going, "Itty bitty bum bum." You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no. She's so cute. Anyway, yeah. So, so Mickey was pretty young, and that's what he interpreted it, it, it being on the radio. Hmm. Uh, Mickey says. It killed Joey Ramone's accordion career, but planted the seed for a new one. Hearing La Bamba? Hearing La Bamba. That was is like the first- Is there even an accordion in that song? No. He said that that song is what killed anymore. Joey Ramone's accordion career. Oh. Yeah. Okay. That was their first experience with rock and roll was hearing that song. Gotcha. 
Well, that's an interesting first experience. Yeah. Well, I don't consider that song to be heavily instrumental in like a shredded guitar type of way. How would he know? Like that was the only. I'm experience. thinking more accordion, and it's because Weird Al did that cover called Lasagna. <laughs> he did indeed. La Lasagna. Yeah. La Lasagna. So I figure that yeah, song has an accordion in it. And it does. It might not. I guess. No, it, I don't think. I don't, I don't think it's particularly like one. rock, rock though. I don't know. I mean, I guess it was rock and roll. It, it was, is. It was very early rock and roll. Yeah. Okay. So, around age seven, Joey caught his first of many illnesses—a bad case of scarlet fever, which laid him out for a few weeks. What the? F- people still get scarlet fever? No, not now. There's vaccines. Uh, shortly after that, unfortunately, the family started to crack. Mom and dad were fighting more. They weren't doing things as a family. Charlotte, his mom, wanted to pick up her career as an artist again, and Noel, their dad, wanted to stay home. Wanted her to stay home and take care of the kids. Uh, he even suspected infidelity with a neighbor, Hank <gasps> Lesher, which turned out to be true. Oh shit! They divorced a year later, and Charlotte married Hank immediately. All the while, the boys were just kind of stuck in a very confusing world, having moved into a new house with new siblings and not knowing which parent they're supposed to but they're still listen on the to. Or... They're still on the same street, though. <laughs> kind of. make custody arrangements really That's easy. That's so I, weird. If, if I remember correctly, I think what it, uh, Hank Lesher's wife had passed, and then a year later, the boy's parents get divorced, and then she marries him, and then they kind of move to a different part of the neighborhood somewhere mm. else. Uh, anyways, Hank turned out to be an okay guy, and uh, he, he had a pretty high-end stereo setup, which he did show the boys how to use. I don't mind my stepdad. He's got a cool radio. Yeah. I mean, look, that's what people think about when they think about step-parents. What are you going to do for me? <laughs> right? I don't know. I'm not calling him dad unless <laughs> that speaker turns all the way up. <laughs> their, uh, their stepbrother, David, had gotten his hands on a small portable transistor radio with headphones. Huge game chamber, uh, game changer at the time. This is like 1957. I mean, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, that was that's a big piece of technology. There, the first headphones invented. It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably the pair I'm wearing right now, and that's why they're fucking squeezing my brain out. Yeah, 1910. Wow. Well, they'd need them for the war. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. No, they probably yeah, would for yeah. the you know the little tippy beep, tip, beep, beep, you know, beep, for the beep, SOS beep, beep, machine. Beep, beep, beep. Yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the boys bugged their dad to get them each one, and they were able to listen to their beloved rock and roll. Uh, despite the craziness of the divorce and living in a new place and dealing with different bullies, neighborhood bullies, the boys had a good relationship with their dad, who'd take them on the weekends. Noel wasn't a deadbeat, luckily. Uh, he'd take them to rock and roll shows, even though he wasn't a, much of a fan. He was more like the macho sports type that listened to like Frank Sinatra and stuff like that. Nerd. But he still took them out. So, <laughs> I mean, he wasn't cool, right? He was a sports nut. But if you think listening to Frank Sinatra made him nacho, nacho. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joey got picked on a lot at school for being skinny, being the skinny, goofy-looking kid with long legs. Yeah, he, he did look like a grasshopper. Yeah, and and there, <laughs> Mickey also talks a lot about how Joey ran because I guess he <laughs> he was kind of sure. goofy looking when he ran. <laughs> I but, can imagine too. But I, to but to him, like that was just how his brother ran. He didn't realize it until years later when you know kids were making fun of him and stuff. It was just his brother. <laughs> he was like, yeah. "Oh shit, you're right." He's I, <laughs> I asked Dan today. He was standing in the kitchen. I was like, "Why are you standing like a praying mantis?" <laughs> so it is possible for humans. You're a bully. Yeah, well, you know, I got good jokes. I know. It's like he would just have to lean into that, you know, because it's funny. You yeah. Can laugh with them. That's what, like, when we're watching movies and stuff, I'm like, that person looks like a hedgehog. And then he'll just laugh because he knows I'm right. And I'm like, well, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not lying. So Joey hadn't made many friends. And, of course, girls weren't very nice to me either. While his brother Mickey was doing well, getting awards for highest reading level in class and attention from girls for being the first kid with a Beatles haircut, uh, (laughs) Joey was becoming more socially introverted and his self-esteem and grades were pretty low. Around 13 to 14 years old, uh, Joey and Mickey went to summer camp, uh, causing them to miss the Beatles coming to town again. I would never forgive my parents. (laughs) Yeah, so they had heard the Beatles' biggest thing ever. You know, the Beatles kept coming to New York and they missed them every single time. Damn. Yeah. While they were at camp, Hank and their mother took a trip to Germany to buy a Porsche 911. 
and tour Europe with the intention of coming home with the car. Yeah, how? You got to put it on a boat. Yeah, they're going to put it on a boat and come home on the boat with the car. Did they not have in, they didn't have foreign cars in the United States for sale. Probably that not. just seems excessive. <laughs> like just go somewhere here. Where do they I mean, get yeah, that money? You, you are in New York and and you could have just bought a Porsche there, but I get it, it's but more also it, who drives in New York? That's a good fucking point. What is wrong with his parents? <laughs> what money did they have? Uh, I believe Hank had, I can't remember exactly. Oh, it was he Hank's had some, money. He had some kind of business. Sugar daddy, stepdaddy. Yeah, yeah, he worked at the McDonald's and he made $70 million a year as they used to back then. <laughs> Hank? Probably. I don't know. I'm making shit up. Oh, okay. I don't my mom <laughs> You know tried I didn't to, do the research. I was like, oh shit. My mom tried to tell me once. She was like, I didn't make that much money when I was your age. I was working at the post office and I made like... $18 an hour, which is a lot back then, but it's, you know, probably not that much. But It's more and now. Yeah, I, like, I extrapolated it out, and I was like, yeah, you made more money at age 23 if you account for inflation and stuff. You were making $20,000 a year more than what I'm making right now in, like, my career. Yeah. And that was just a throwaway job for you. So I was like, thanks, you did not make me feel better. Yeah. Fuck you, actually. <laughs> uh, well, back to the story and some yeah, bad news. Doesn't fucking matter. Oh yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. They went to buy the Porsche. They toured Europe, and uh, they were going to come home with the car. Unfortunately, they had gotten into an accident in France, and Hank didn't make it. No. Uh, he just bought a Porsche. That's why they got in an accident. Uh-uh. Uh uh He crashed the Porsche. Yeah, they so were. So they didn't the... get a car or a dad. <gasps> No, they lost both. <laughs> what the fuck? I would be so pissed off. I would come back from camp and be like, first you made me miss the Beatles. Then you went to Germany without me. You bought a car. I didn't even get to ride in it. And our dad died. What the fuck, mom? Yeah. That's fucked up. That's it, a bad well, summer. It is. Was uh, she investigated for insurance money? Ooh. I don't think so. How no. do you have insurance in Germany? <clears throat> and not, in, you're bringing the car to America. Like they life didn't... insurance on him. Oh. Mm. I was thinking car insurance. I'm nope. like, they probably didn't even buy a fucking policy yet. <laughs> no. Life insurance. Did Hank have a life insurance policy? I, who knows? Stop being a conspiracy theorist. Uh, soon after returning to the U.S., his kids David and Reba had been taken to live with family, Reba. leaving just Joey, Mickey, and his mother again. Damn. Mickey picked up guitar and was learning to play while Joey kind of, uh, he just kind of started leaning towards drums. While Hank and Charlotte had originally said no to drums, Charlotte helped him to get his first set, and this is obviously after Hank had passed. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Mickey was hanging at a friend's house that the Tangerine Puppets jammed at. Here he met Tommy Erdelgi and John Cummings. Tommy seemed to be pretty friendly and helped Mickey with uh, his guitar playing, actually. Uh, Mickey had started noticing that Joey was acting strange, walking out of a room and turning the light off then walking back in and turning the light on and off again several times or just picking up an object and dropping it, picking it back up again randomly, and he would end up just leaving messes all over the house. Uh, Mickey recalls Joey and their mom getting into big, huge fights about it all the time, and they were just going back and forth constantly. Uh, their dad, their, their birth dad, didn't make things better either, always getting on them for their hair and their clothes because they were growing it out and they were looking like, you know, dressing like hippies, wearing tie-dye and all that stuff, really into rock and roll. And uh, he would threaten to send them to military school. Mm. This is where it, it gets really heartbreaking here because I was reading Mickey's account of growing up with Joey. And it's just the way he describes how Joey was just basically kind of losing his mind, how he always seemed scared. Uh, he had already been talking about suicide and he's not even like out of high school yet. Damn. Joey was hearing voices. Uh, his compulsive behaviors had started uh, affecting his hygiene. Um, he'd stay home and listen to the same album for like 10 hours straight. He wasn't like bathing. He wasn't changed. He would put on one pair of clothes and then it was like almost impossible to yeah. get him out of them. Like his shoes were completely rank. It's depression. His, his mom would, he, yeah, she had to like steal his shoes and throw them away and he'd just be livid about it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, he's got OCD too. So. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like depression too. Well, well yeah. he's probably it's depressed being, because he's undiagnosed, you know. Yeah, and it's right. compounded because they, they don't know what's me. wrong with him, and yeah. they, they were trying to get him help, but they had really no idea. It's also so sad. Like even when I was a little kid, I didn't know. I, I don't think I knew about suicide until like high school. Yeah, the fact that kids know about it younger and younger these days is just heartbreaking, and that's something that they like. Well, maybe I could just do this. Like, how do you even a know what that is? But then also, they don't understand the long term 
like school age, like nothing lasts. Yeah, that, that long. shit is so. Yeah, it's hard to it's see past with, high school. Yeah, it's like that's your whole life is just going to school. Yeah, life is so fucking long. Yeah, it's almost painful how goddamn long it is. Right. But like, if you can get through those first few years <laughs> yeah. relatively unscathed, you'll never think about it again. Like, you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, and when, once you're out of school, like, you don't have to, well... People don't just make fun of you, you know? It's not the same. Yeah, you, you, you'll you never, in general, you'll never see or hear from any of those people ever again. Really? Yeah, That's but people don't honestly... really have the balls to just be acting like that in real life, you know? Yeah. You have to get along with people, and you have to fucking make it work in at your workplace, or else, you know, people who are a problem are going to get fired. So if there's, like, workplace bullies that just constantly tease and make fun of you, they can't beat you up at work, you know? Like, it's just different. Just meet so, them in the parking lot. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, I wish I could beat up my coworkers. If any of you are listening right now, fuck you. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> Jeez. I just have to wait now. It's a waiting game to see who comes up to me first and is like, yo, when are we fighting in the parking lot? <laughs> and then I'm not going to know what they're talking about. Yeah. Also, it's a parking garage, so... It is a garage. Mind the slopes. <laughs> oh, it's dangerous. Just roll them down. <laughs> so, yeah, anyways, it's pretty scary stuff when you don't have an answer to what's going on with you. Yeah. Uh, Joey finally made it to St. Vincent's Hospital and spent some time there for a uh, psychiatric evaluation. He was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, which unfortunately at the time did not have much of a treatment, um, but it did seem to help going there, and he continued going several times a month. Uh, meanwhile, Mickey started hanging out with John Cummings, uh, a.k.a. Joey Ramone and uh, Johnny Johnny Ramone. I'm sorry. <laughs> Be, and they became fast friends and they even played in a band with him and uh, Tommy, Tommy Ramone before they were the Ramones. Though Mickey, he kind of quit after a while because Johnny was just fucking nuts, kicking yeah. people in the balls and just being an asshole and shit. Yeah. Uh, and then. That's a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> their mom had to sell their house and it was just. Uh, you know, Charlotte, Joey, and Mickey, and they moved into an apartment. And at this time, they're pretty much all on the same block. You got Dee Dee living down the street. Johnny's across the street. Uh, Tommy's there. Joey, everybody's there on that same kind of Did within the same block of each other. And this is when they start kind of all mingling together. So when, when they all started hanging out, um, it's early 70s. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, what was it, glam rock or glitter rock? Yeah, glam rock. So they they all start like uh, wearing the the glittery jumpsuits yeah. with the platforms. I'm on and, one uh, of those now. <laughs> <laughs> Joey went cool. Joey went pretty hard into it. He had a he knew a seamstress somehow. He got her to make him a jumpsuit that, of course, once he put it on, it kind of never came off. He had big purple uh, uh, platforms, cool. and of course, he had his iconic glasses, which he had gotten years earlier. It was basically like the rose-colored style sunglasses that he never took off. But yeah, they would all get dressed up and go into town and party and and watch uh, bands, music, you know, go to concerts, all that kind of shit. So about this time, uh, well, Joey Joey was left with some lifelong health problems. He was prone to infections because his neurological system was just not right, according to Mickey. He said if he stepped on something and cut his foot, he would wind up in the hospital on intravenous antibiotics. He was always going to the doctors. As far as his OCD went, uh, these voices in his head would say, you didn't close the door right. You got to do it again. He would do it 20 times until it was right. Because of what was going on in his head, he was different. Uh, His musical interests included mostly English groups like the Beatles, the Who, David Bowie, and the Stooges. He also had a particular interest in Phil Spector-produced girl groups. Joey's brother Mickey formed his first band at age 10, and around that time, Joey started picking up drums. By age 14, Mickey was playing with the other guys from the Ramones. Joey picked up guitar around age 17. So now, it's 1974. And the Ramones started to take shape after Johnny and Dee Dee asked Joey to join their band. They didn't want to go by these names yet, but it'll be easier calling them these names throughout the whole fucking thing because holy shit uh (laughs) yeah don't call anybody jeff ever again so they wanted to have dd on guitar and vocals johnny also on guitar and joey on the drums they asked their homie richie stern to play bass 
but he was really shitty. So they kicked him out, and then then <laughs> Didi was the first one to call himself Ramon, which he was lifting from Paul McCartney. He used to go by Paul Ramon back in his Silver Beatles days. He would check into hotels under this name. Didi convinced the others to go along with it, so now they all called themselves the Ramones. <sighs> I also found a differing story about the beginning of the band from Louder Sound. Apparently, Tommy was the one who had this vision in his head of the band, and he came up with the whole concept. He saw himself as a manager. So he rang up Johnny, persuaded him to form the group. Uh, Tommy just basically wanted to dictate what the concept for it was and who was going to play what. So this group, they convinced Monty Melnick to let them rehearse at his workplace, Manhattan's Performance Studios. But remember how the one guy, Richie, couldn't play bass at all? Neither could Dee Dee. Uh, and... Uh, at least not if he was supposed to sing too. So Dee Dee was demoted. Joey became the new frontman, And I think it's funny that when they were deciding on what they wanted to do, Dee Dee was like, I want to sing and play guitar. And then he got to do just <laughs> neither one of those things. Turns All he out, got to do was say one, two, three, four. <laughs> yeah. Turns out singing and playing drums was also too tricky for Joey. So Tommy, their manager, ended up taking over drums. So he finally got a lineup. The group played their first show on March 30th, 1974, with a bunch of fast songs, all of them, or most of them, under two minutes apiece. Later that summer, they would have their first show at New York's historic Divey Music Club, named CBGB. That's the place. And that's where <laughs> we're going to break for part two, which will explore the feud between Johnny and Joey that lasted for nearly all of the band's career and literally kept them from speaking to each other for around 16 years, despite the fact that they were constantly on the road and on stage together. They didn't say a fucking word to each other for years. That is a impressive. It's weird, but it worked. We'll also get into the Ramones beef with the Sex Pistols and the rise and fall of the Ramones popularity, despite being one of the most influential bands in rock and roll history, they weren't getting the respect at the time that they deserved. All that didn't come until much later, so we're going to get into that as well. And of course, the untimely deaths of every original member. And with that, I think it's time to do something we haven't done in a long time. Where is it? I don't, what are you looking for? We're going to read from the gay sex book. Pride Month. It's Pride Month. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's Pride Month as we're recording this. So I found, uh, it, for those of you who don't know about this book, I don't know, sometime at the beginning of the podcast starting, I went to a thrift store somewhere, mm. or some kind of weird vintage, I don't fucking know, found a gay sex book. And it has, it's like a glossary of terms and for gay positions. sex. Yeah. And so I found one here that says bathtubs. Oh. Assuming you and your partner aren't too big and your tub isn't too small, a shared bath can provide a relaxing prelude to an evening in bed. Fill the tub with the warmest water you can stand. If possible, plug up the overflow drain so that when you get in, the water can almost rise to the top. Sounds romantic. Most tubs are too small to easily face each other. It's more comfortable for the taller man to sit in back and the shorter one to sit in between his legs. Turn up the heat slightly so you won't be chilled afterwards and plan what you'll need so you don't have to get out of the tub. Scented bath oils, bubble bath, candles, bubble champagne, bath. warm towels, robes, rubber ducky, <laughs> rubber oh. ducky, <laughs> robes to wear while you go from bath to bedroom. A few lucky people have a hot tub in their backyard. It offers all the pleasures of a bathtub. Plus, you can invite guests. What bathtub have you ever found large enough to fit two people in? I the concept of bathtubs grosses me the fuck out. <laughs> they but should, you'll get in a hot tub. Step one. I will get in a hot tub. It's the same thing. But with old water. The hot tub generally doesn't have like cat hair in it, you know? But it's had people lightly boiling in it. I know. The I, temperature I, is so hot that <laughs> it kills its bacteria. And hot tubs have chlorine. Showers don't. There's still skin flakes and everything else that fell off everybody. I don't drink that's it. Been in there. I can't explain it, but bathtubs <laughs> gross me out, and taking baths gross grosses me out extremely. But but a hot tub doesn't. It makes more sense why. to shower and then take a bath because you're not sitting in your soup dirty water. But yeah. anyway, I yeah I just just I don't, sanitize your tub. I, I think clean it's clean your bathtub. No, that's worse. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. Okay. Um, I did want to say. 
we have a Facebook group and it hasn't been super active because like shit, we haven't been super active, but we appreciate you guys posting in there. Dakota, we saw your message. So I was at Bonnaroo this past weekend. Dakota was also at a music festival called Beyond Wonderland. And that was the one that had a shooting this past weekend. So she shared an article to the coverage on that. I wonder if we should do a mini episode. I don't know. But she said that this happened last night at an event me and my friends are currently at. We leave tomorrow and are all safe, but just trying to calm my nerves and share some precautionary advice. Breaks my fucking heart that people tarnish public events and precious live music like this. Stay safe and aware no matter what or where, fam. So if you want to check out that article, she posted it in our Facebook group. It's called Death by Music Podcast Fans. You can find our Facebook page through there. If you search for Death by Podcast Team, we are on Patreon. We have like 40-something episodes of bonus content on the Patreon. It is only $5 a month if you would like to subscribe. Uh, Stay tuned for part two. Can't tell you when it's going to come out, but it will come out eventually. Happy Pride Month. Hopefully this comes out. I don't know if this is going to be in June. It's already the 23rd. Yeah, it will. It will. Fuck yeah. Thank you guys for your participation today. I'm speaking to both of you, our audience member Cassie and our lead researcher Jake. Yes. <laughs> so fun. All right. Um, have a nice evening or morning and rest in peace. Goodbye. Oh my God. Ooh, later. Death by Music podcast is written and produced by Victoria Motler, Alex Motler, Cassie Gardner, and Jake.